Hello and welcome to Potshop. I'm Alex Towles and I'm joined by Seb, as I normally am, but we are joined by a guest this week. Abel Metzarosh has joined us to discuss an article he's written this week covering Arsenal and the good things about our season and some of the not good things about our season. Uh, and I think Abel's article is particularly interesting because he's a totally neutral observer. Obviously, we're a tactics podcast, so we try and take a more neutral eye than some, but we're also fans and we do let that influence our analytics at times. So uh, bringing on Abel, I think, is a really useful uh, way to kind of get an, a neutral eye over Arsenal's season and keep us in check, if you will. Um, so we'll start, as we normally do, with the pot shot question. So what is the most obscure piece of football memorabilia that you own? Abel, I'll start with you. I actually have Arsenal socks. Um, oh, since this nice. is an Arsenal pack, I don't remember. Um, because I'm old. Uh, and this is from like, <laughs> this is from like, I don't want to say it's from the Invincible season, but it's from like sort of that era. So the actual sort of socks you would wear in a pitch because I had like a really good friend um, at the time sort of living in the US when like sort of the Premier League was making its way into the US. And, and, we, and I mean, so this, I think I'm going to betray my neutrality. I did, I did like that Arsenal side quite a bit at the time. And I think um, <laughs> he just gave them to me for some tournaments. So I probably have that one. So I'll go, I'll go with that one. Um, some old Arsenal socks then. Great shout. Seb, what have you got? Now, I don't own much football memorabilia, but I have something very obscure. Uh, I was watching the Everton versus Manchester United game with my brother. That was shortly after the points deduction and the Everton protests where they held up these huge, I think they were red uh, signs that had the Premier League logo and the word corrupt under it. And they were holding these up at every a uh, refereeing decision that went against them. And we found that so funny that for uh, Christmas, my brother made me a sort of heavy paper card <laughs> that has the complete <laughs> logo and the word corrupt under it so that every decision that Arsenal nice. don't get their way, I can hold it up and accuse them of corruption. Uh, look, Seb's card is white. Um, yeah. So I, I don't... I wonder what a white card would be in football. Obviously, we've got red and yellow. White would have to be something completely different. So, mine arrived quite recently. Uh, it came from a good friend of mine uh, called Alex Tam Brown, who I would say is a friend of the pod, but no one else knows him other than me. Um, so, my friend Alex Tam Brown uh, really likes to proclaim that he's not a Leeds fan. He's an Arsenal fan, but he, he knows a lot about Leeds and he has some old Leeds stuff. And he sent me a couple of bits of old Leeds United memorabilia. So the first one is this enamel pin badge of a really, really old Leeds United badge. I've looked it up and I'm pretty sure this is the Leeds badge from 1960 to 1964. Um, and it's a very nice enamel pin badge. Uh, there's also some other bits with it. So I've got a match ticket from an FA Cup third round tide of Leeds United versus Stoke City from Saturday the 5th of January 1963. Uh, that also came with it. And then a picture uh, of a Leeds, of a W furnace from Leeds United from the packet of some Wilfs cigarettes. So, uh, Alex, thank you very much for sending those through to me. Uh, I, I forgot that I was going to get the other bits. I, I remember the pin badge. 
uh, because he basically said he found these in the office, in the loft. There is dad's or something like that. Uh, and I like enamel pin badges. So he, when he offered them to our group of friends, I said, yes, I'll take that. Uh, and then the other bits came with. And so, yeah, that's definitely the most obscure bit of football memorabilia I own. A FA Cup third round ticket from a Leeds United game in 1963. Not bad. That's about as obscure as they come, fair play. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Let's get into the meat and bones of the episode then. Abel's article, if you haven't read it yet, is called The Thing About Arsenal and Public Analysis. Uh, and it's out on Medium, so go and give it a read. It takes about 16 minutes. But if case people don't want to go and give it a read and haven't read it yet, Abel, can you give us a quick cliff notes of the article, if you will? I always feel like this, this things take much more than 16 minutes. Or I feel like I'm, I'm somewhat insulted when it's like, yeah, 16 minutes. It took me like definitely a lot longer to, to write. But yeah, in case, I'll summarize it in two hours. No. Um, so what I think it's about is that um, there wasn't a lot of talk about Arsenal, I would say, like this season in the general mainstream, because like I was saying that almost all of the other teams sort of in the top five or six were somewhat more interesting in terms of there's more things happening to them. And I just managed to go through that. But then and I also kind of talked about how Arsenal were like the known quantity that everybody expected them based on like last season, based on the thing that Arteta has been building to challenge for the title. And then that narrative was, I would say, on track. And then obviously it sort of fell apart. And I wasn't sort of too happy with the analysis that came out as to why it... But actually, I, I don't think people said that it fell apart. They, they said that, well, they were just unlucky and, and you know, they, had, they didn't have like sort of those number nines that the other teams have. And, you know, Saka's playing too many minutes. And like, there was, a, I would say there was a lot of sort of... Um, sort of straw man arguments or and I just felt like there was a disconnect between you know what I was seeing and, and because I had looked at um, Arsenal for, for something else and between what was sort of talked about in sort of the mainstream analytics media even I'd say and we were discussing that with Sebastian before we came on about how um, I feel like now we have like a lot of fan-specific or team-specific podcast like, like like this one, where you can go into those details. And I feel like um, many people, and one of the feedbacks I've gotten after the article is that like, yes, like so many of us were thinking this way. Um, and then I'll, like, I mean, I can go through sort of what my arguments were there. But basically, I just didn't really agree with some of the takeaways that people were having. Um, and like I went and investigated that and I found some things. You start off the article by praising Arsenal's out-of-possession structure, which is something we've done a lot on the pod. Um, uh, we've got John on the pod calling Arsenal the best out-of-possession team in the world. Uh, that was quite a bit earlier in the season, but I don't think it's something that he'd disagree with now. John, you can I'm sure you're listening. You could tell us if you disagree with it now. Um, and, and you go on to make some points about the build-up structure. Uh, and that's something that we talked about a lot on Potshot, and it's something that we'd like to talk about again today because 
what, what do we love more than covering stuff we've covered before? Um, so what, from an outside perspective, did you see as the issues with Arsenal's build-up this season? Yeah, like, just a, just one, one sort of note on that before where, like, I, I think many people have made the point about out of possession being marked out and John was an inspiration for, for the piece in some ways as well. Like, he's someone I've talked to pretty much every day. Um, and, but I think also like there was other people, like even in sort of the mainstream analytics discourse, where, like I think Scott Willis is one who, who talked about how, well, this defensive style, which, you know, whether you call it defensive or not is, is, you know, whatever, something we can discuss, but basically being the best out of possession team, can that win you a title? Right. And I think they agreed that it that it can't, but then and I was like, well, okay, but the logical thing that we then we should look at what's wrong in in possession. And my answer wasn't that like where they're well, they're, everything is fine. Is that they're just getting unlucky? And then I and I kind of went to the build up because so my sort of uh, way I think about football is like, okay, well, what's the sort of style that they're trying to do? We 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 know what they're trying to do against the ball, but then what do they try to do? with the ball and in some ways right this isn't really that hard to make the connection between who Arteta is right or sort of where his footballing social linguistic uh, education is right this is being a Basque um, Basque country right and, and and then growing to there and then obviously um, then I would say it ends with Pep Guardiola so uh, you you know what you're trying to get there right and they should have like in theory right you would expect that Having had all having said all this about Arteta, like that, you would have a really sort of flexible, but also positional, um, well organized, well oiled build up that basically creates, you know, superiorities. Whether it's sort of numbers, whether it's qualitative, whether it's positional, like all those sort of uh, sub principles of uh, whoever the position, and then moves the ball to like the opposition goal, and then you create kind of big chances and whatnot. And when I looked at some of the data, but then more importantly, when I looked at the film, I was like, that's not, that's not what I'm seeing. And, and that's what I, you know, that's what I wanted to ask you guys as well. If, if, if that's something you agreed with or, or how did you um, see it? Because I, I, again, like I, I was telling this to Sebastian where I don't watch Arsenal every week. Like I, I will watch them when it, ha- when it comes up. But so my narrative Sort of coming into it was was influenced by by those factors, but then when I started watching, I was like, well, this doesn't really match what I'm what I'm seeing that 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 they're fine, and and I just went into the various ways that I didn't think they were fine with the ball. So yes, the you you've said there that you want want our perspective, so I'll I'll let Seb go. <laughs> Seb, from watching Arsenal every week, um, what do you make of Abel's assessment? Having heard him and having read the article, I I broadly agree with his perspective on Arsenal. Um, And I think we can't separate the huge jump we had out of possession with the effects it had on our in-possession structure. Specifically, it's almost impossible to discuss Arsenal this season, especially when contrasting to last season, without talking about who we brought in the summer, who went out in the summer, and the effects those changes had on the team, both out of possession, maxing out out of possession, as it were, and the in-possession issues that came about through profiles themselves and the relationships of profiles with one another 
Um, so those are sort of the things that l- largely led to what we see now. Yeah, like I mean, I think that makes sense, right? This is this is always again, like I'm not trying to like separate these things because we we know some practitioners and anyone who sort of watches that this is not like there's this is this is like a, a concept, right? That the four phases of the game, but in reality, it's a fluid thing, and and you can never. It's not like you have offensive and defensive possessions, like in you know some other sports. But um, I do feel like that that the recruitment part of it was 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 a big one, right? In terms of you know let, letting Chaka go, and I, I think it's one of those things where it probably was the right thing to do. I mean, you, you guys know this better than I do, but um, you know. I watch Leverkusen pretty much every week, and it's it's hard to make the argument that he couldn't be, you know, helping if if he were, you know, like put in those positions. But again, like he's not uh, like his main strength isn't out of position; it's it's more of in position. But you know, um, but then I and I say, okay, well, you still have Jorginho, you still have Partey. When, whenever he's sort of, you know, many things going on with him, but I don't like I don't really think that the argument that well it's recruitment and don't have sort of pieces i, I think that that doesn't really sort of i maybe mean, I, I don't i'm not sure that's what you're trying to say but i wasn't really like buying that in that sense i think i understand it in terms of like uh okay well we're really trying to be the best out of possession team in the world but then and then i think maybe that's a flawed approach in in, in some ways because um I don't know. I, I just think I've, there's like so I, I brought up this season's examples of Leverkusen, um, Girona. Um, I mean, San Pauli in second Bundesliga. Stuttgart is an amazing team. Which, like all of those teams, if you think about them a year ago, where they were, uh, it's all everyone. They you know they'd be brought in uh, you know, and then you can go back to like Brighton and and many other teams. Sassuolo, like basically, I'm trying to make the point that changing your in possession to playing a dominant style isn't as hard as you would think and the upside is bigger um and you and i think like i think scott willis also made this point um in that in that sort of data argument that basically dominant teams like you do to win the league you have to have uh really really good like really really good in possession and that means that you have to have build up you have to be able to and that's why i use the the, the quote by juan manuel Lillo as almost like I'm not saying like I, I think it's too too like journalistic of me to say that Arteta doesn't understand because he clearly understands this idea of progressing the ball cleanly because but I just feel like maybe the balance uh, has shifted to the focus to out of possession and maybe that's nothing where well, I think like I think we're probably underrating this um, organic nature of a football team. Where it's not a washing machine, where if you take out one part and then you add this other part, so you're like, well, Declan Rice is a better player than Granit Xhaka. Okay, yeah, but what do you lose by you know what do you gain by Declan Rice is obviously the transition counter pressing and, and, and being able to get. But you were already really really good at that. But then maybe you, as I mentioned in the article, is like, well, Declan Rice tends to drop out of the back line. He tends to cannibalize possession. Um, he will get a lot of progressive numbers, which, and that was another thing that I found interesting in the, in the, uh, in the research is that like, he's a top of all the progression charts, but it's, if you actually watch like, uh, line breaking passes and I sort of got some data on that, like he's not really anywhere close. Um, I think he's at like 6.9 and then, 
I'm, uh, Zinchenko was at like eight and a half last year. He's, he's, he's still sort of higher than him. But, and then I kind of noticed actually, like when I was um, looking at uh, uh, the Palace game, I, I actually like looked at a little bit of data on uh, like Declan Rice's uh, number of touches. Um, he actually has the three highest times. So in FBRF, you can sort by like live touches. The three highest times, uh, it's the group game against Lens that you lost to one, uh, the West Ham 2-0 loss, and then the Fulham loss. Uh, that's when he has over 100 live ball touches. And then there's another one that's like pretty close to Villa one. So basically, you could actually make that argument that the more often he touches the ball, it's probably worse. So in the, like in the Palace game, and I know he didn't play the full game, but he only had like, I think, 60 some, some touches. And... So basically, I'm trying to make this point that it's probably not the best idea because, you know, you you, you take away Saliba as a carrier. You take away Gabriel, who I, I thought, like, Gabriel had a really, really uh, interesting game against Palace and was able to, like, be used that way. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of that. And then you don't use Zinchenko as much. Um, and then I basically, I was trying to make the point that the buildup becomes this circumventing thing where you, you, you're forced to decide, the tempo slows down, you're unable to break lines, and then also not having enough people between the lines because he jumps out. Um, and yeah, so basically I'm, I'm sort of curious to see like if that's other, it's what other people are seeing or whether they're fixing that. I think that's an interesting point. And uh, in your article, you said something about the intent clearly being there to be this very dominant in possession team that plays through its positional play structure, but the application being sort of in and out, as it were. And I think that goes back to the issue of the intent being one thing and the, the, us wanting to be an, a dominant team, but the, the reasons why it's not coming off being more about finding the right balance within the team as well. Um, again, framing this through the players we brought in, I think a lot of the issues, especially in the build-up, that come about are sort of cascading effects of Kanichaka leaving the club. In that, through that lens, you lost your most reliable high ball receiver on the left-hand side. That was then replaced by Kai Havertz, who sort of occupies that role. He doesn't have the same sort of reliability when receiving in those half spaces. At that point, you're limiting Gabriel's options when he's on the ball in defense. So that sort of takes away some of his progressive aspects. You're also isolating Martinelli somewhat. You're not getting him in the positions you want him to get in because last season, a lot of his actions were either diagonal threats from out wide getting inside on sort of open field when, when the field was more open, or when, when when things were more congested, getting him into central spaces through sort of premeditated rotations with Ganchaka moving out wide, Zinchenko coming into midfield, and uh, Martinelli moving inside. With Havertz there, you want him as the sort of second person in the box and making those late box runs, which means that you don't have the same rotational spaces to get Martinelli inside and sort of having two runners ostensibly on that side and having two creators on the other side with uh, Odegaard and Saka, that causes issues, especially considering losing the 
ball receptor in the left-hand half space also generates huge bias towards the right-hand side. Now, that's also compounded then by Declan Rice getting into the team and having to figure out ways to get him into best positions for himself because uh, you flagged up some of his follies that we've also flagged up on the podcast before in reception issues with his back-to-goal, his sort of not his sort of risk-averse nature in passing, that he he isn't going for the line-breaking passes that Thomas Partey, for example, um, goes for. And sort of working around that has caused issues there. There's also another argument to be made, just broadly, that there is an intent to be more dominant in possession, not in terms of chance creation itself, but just in terms of pitch dominance and sort of uh, territorial dominance that through the maxing out of out of possession and sort of a slower, more calculated in possession approach, at least when you're in the final third, you're both generating a high chance of you winning considering you're not giving the opposition anything and you can create danger even through set pieces. And it also is, at least I think, a perceivably less taxing approach to play throughout a season you're going sort of in the Pep Guardiola way of sort of using your own dominance to keep your performance on a yeah. yeah defensive possession and keeping your performance at a level where you're not taxing yourself out through constant transitions so your performances can last the whole season and perhaps that way you're getting closer to the points tallies that may win you the title because last season the first half of the season as great as it was and as as functional as the team was at that point the level of intensity and the level of will that that run of 50 points in 19 games needed we always knew that that's not a sustainable way to play at the same time that argument is valid but structural flaws within the shape and within the way we play aren't necessarily ways that we slow our possession down as it were and be more tempered if that makes sense but rather issues that the players we put in those positions to execute the way we want to execute have caused yeah that makes sense like i think i mean i'm open to that argument that this is about control because it's like it's it is it is like in some ways a a very guardiola like um thing which you know i think many many of those i mean and other who are good at position coaches who aren't as innovative and, and, and they'll go they'll go into that and, and then you you know they they do try to like defend with the ball in some ways and, and suffocate and and if you are like you know able to create like I think it's 12 set piece goals that they score now and, and you have the best set piece you know like it, it, it's a reasonable approach. It's just I think like like what I what I struggle with is that um the what if that doesn't work or like you yeah. know, having sort of a, you know, it's not just a plan B, like, you know, this is like, there's, um, there's a lot of um, coaches, particularly in Germany, who always like are big, big, big on having um, like Helmut Gross, who's a, who's a run next mentor, is, is like a co- sort of co-mentor is like, well, we really need to have a plan A, B, three to Z. Right. And, and that's like the thing that that's, very true for many many teams and i think like now with the amount of staff involved and and the amount of players you have and that's the other thing is with arsenal is that you have an incredible squad like it's a one billion squad volume or whatever um 
even with the injuries like you have and you have so many players who can play multiple roles um and, and I probably are capable of more and I just I just didn't feel like that's necessarily being implemented to to the best degree I agree um yeah. and and it's like I think like and particularly I think like like my my sort of larger thing is that if you look at the grander picture zooming out from Arsenal for a second for this season like you found um you know like take, taking even out city say away from from the picture because they're probably not that interesting in terms of the injuries or whatever but you found like how Liverpool were able to rejigger their midfield and then the Trent thing and and then being more direct so they they've they've presented new challenges and, you know Spurs I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about them on an Arsenal podcast but <laughs> they've certainly like you know certainly like all the things that Posse Sugar's done have made them a really direct team but also a really interesting team really flexible team you can talk about Villa as well like how how they've um, played effective I would say and, and Emery's been been really really good at that in some ways and and I think as a side note right like um, if if Arteta is going in that way and, and just you know, try to like control these kind of games and, 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 and have sort of one approach, then that's very Unai Emery, right? Like, right? like he's, <laughs> he's sort of famous, right? So, so there's, there's some problems there. And then you can go down the line to other teams that are, you know, um, trying to like Brighton has, has changed a bunch of things this, this, this season due to the injuries and whatever. So, and so I'm, I'm just trying to make the point that, um, there, and I'm probably there's other teams that I'm maybe not watching closely, but I've listed five now that are like creating or approving sort of in season solutions. And I mean, what are the in season solutions from from Arsenal? Um, I, I again, like I, I'm not sure. Like maybe maybe I'm not picking up on them, um, but and and certainly like the analysis that was out there wasn't. Maybe it wasn't ever interested in picking up on them. I'm not sure, but it didn't seem to pick up on them. It just said, well, yeah, look at the total XG and look at, you know, how unlucky they're getting and look at all the stuff and, and look at, uh, you know, how, how dominant they are. And I was always saying, well, yeah, it's true, but it's like the intentions are different if you're behind in a game, whereas if you're trying to control and whereas if you're trying to, you know. So that, that that's probably where I felt like... Um, they could have done more in terms of uh, in in season coaching, and it's again like I'm also open to the idea that it's really really hard to judge these things because you're not there, right? You you don't know like what they're working, on. you don't know sort of what the situations behind the scenes are with player personnel, injuries, um, probably not a lot a lot of training. I, we, we do know that. Just if you look at the fixtures and you look at sort of how a a club is run basically these guys are doing mostly recovery and i think now they've had uh you know in, in dubai and, and they've had the couple weeks off mostly because they're out of the cup and whatever but and maybe they are finding i mean i think there's a little bit of evidence against Palace that, that they are kind of uh fixing these things and i do think that um as we just saw by the teams we mentioned from girona to leverkusen like it's it's not the hardest thing in the world to to kind of you know fix these things because if you have like you know the amount of research i mean they've always been at the forefront of analysis and coaching staff and it's and it's you can you can definitely find these things and and and, and definitely coach them in, in probably even less than a week 
and and sort of fix some of these things if you if you tell the players certain principles and some principles they they should adhere to. I think the question of uh, in-season solutions is a really, really good jumping off point to um, something which people I saw on Twitter were kind of coming at you with is, but what about November and the changes we made in November? And what changed in November is some of some in-season solutions that have been picked up by people who have been watching Arsenal every week. Uh, in particular, I want to highlight another friend of the pod, Billy Carpenter, who's a writer who covers Arsenal tactically every week. Uh, he coined the term float de garde for uh, the change in Martin Odegaard's role, um, which I think could be seen as Arteta trying to sort of solve these problems in season uh, and then finding different problems as he's going through that. So, Seb, can you please expand on the concept of Martin Flirtigan for me and <laughs> fill in Abel on some of Arteta's yeah, yeah. attempts at in-season solutions. Martin Flirtigan, yeah. Um, there is an obvious caveat in that um, each game has its own s problems that need solving. So there's not a broad stroke answer to every game we're playing in terms of one solution that the pro uh, that that the team can have to solve every game state and every opponent that comes in different spaces there's but there have been a few solutions we found especially since sort of november time to circumvent some of the issues we have found in trying to play or try to replicate somewhat the at least structural principles we had last season with players that probably didn't quite fit the roles that others had previously occupied. Um, specifically, you found a problem in Kahavats playing as the left eight in that he's one of the furthest things from a reliable second phase passing player. So that has led to a lot of central access issues, led to a lot of horseshoe play around a team that, uh, teams that increasingly defend deeper against Arsenal because they know they're a very dominant team, etc., etc. So one of the solutions was to drop Martin Odegaard deeper to get a player who is stylistically better in second phase play at getting the ball forward and progressing from there into positions where he can affect play deeper, especially considering the start of the season, Odegaard was ostensibly a second striker for us, which minimalized his sort of on-ball influence in a lot of games, which was a frustration shared on the part as well. So that was one thing. And it also correlated with the fact that through the fact that teams were increasingly sitting so deep with us, the white spaces and the, the wingers were increasingly isolated against two, three players and weren't getting the ambo support they were so one of the solutions was instead of having Zinchenko come in as a second pivot to sort of increase ball circulation from center we move Odegaard deeper and get the fullbacks both of them to push higher up and sort of create a sort of 2-4-2 or 4-2-4 and how you ever want to see it um, in in some phases of play to get more bodies around the wingers to get wide combinations going again etc etc it all Getting another player deep with the fullbacks wider is also a good solution for some of Rice's in possession uh, problems, considering through pivots, and especially if you stagger your pivots correctly, if you 
have them as sort of correlating movers. You can find third man combinations to get Rice out of positions where he has to receive with his back to goal. You can get him facing forward, get him into situations that he likes where he can switch it out to wide players, etc. So there's been an increasing amount of flexibility in in structure. I think the Luton game from from the start, even before Game State kicked in and had its own way with that game, there was a degree of fluidity within sort of predetermined structures that sort of negate the opposition structure, as it were, that was not previously seen before. And that sort of aids the the players we have at our disposal. I, I, the, the fundamental issue with Arsenal this season and the fundamental f- thing that needs to be addressed and that is being dis- uh, addressed little by little is platforming the players we have to the best of their capabilities. And that wasn't really what was happening at the start of the season where it was very much a predetermined structure that was carried over from last season and intentions that were carried over from last season with players that didn't fill those roles as they should have, uh, that as others were able to do last season. And then as we moved from November into December, you found that the team really ran themselves into the ground because one of the downsides of this new approach is that you're asking Erdegaard to do two things at once, be a deep progressor and then also orchestrate our player higher up the pitch. You're asking Zinchenko to do two things at once, be part of the deep progression and then sprint round so he could be part of the higher build-up as well. And so, especially as we got on towards where our form started to fall off a cliff, the players are getting increasingly tired, which culminates in the Fulham game, one of the worst performances we've seen in this um, in the, in Arteta's reign. It was mm-hmm. definitely in the last couple of years. And Couldn't get a shot consent- there, right, for like a good half an hour or more in the second half. There was like a time period where you couldn't get a shot for I like I think the second half minutes. had about one yeah. Arsenal shot in it. It was... <laughs> yeah, and the general consensus was basically that the entire team was just knackered. Yeah, I like I, I thought like so I I agree with some of those things. Um and like in the Palace game I did see much more of this, but um and I'll go into those in, in, a, in a second. But I think in some ways, like I what I what I was kind of suggesting in, in the article is that it's much easier to potentially solve these progressions if you you just use the center backs right because it's not like it's not like you you don't have like you have two world class center backs who can pretty much do it all like Gabriel if you if you ever watch Gabriel for like Brazil and like I I got a chance to watch a lot of the Denise uh, Brazil games for you know better or worse but um <laughs> he's the guy who's breaking the lines like it's not Marquinhos right it's it's he's the guy who's who's the main build up person for Brazil and he's very capable and you saw that against Palace when when he is um, given sort of time and, and he is uh, empowered in some ways. Um, he and it's like most most teams always just press with one striker, so you should you should almost always have that. Um, I do think Ben White, I mean, has, has shown like time and he's capable. I, I don't really think he's sort of utilized there. And then Saliba, he is. I mean, he's one of the, the leading progressive carry guys, and, and you, but he also has those capabilities. So I I feel like. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm not against the idea of certainly not against the idea of getting Zinchenko more on the ball. Certainly, I'm not against the idea of of uh, Odegaard coming deeper. Um, 
And, I, and in the Palace game, like, I did see, like, one sort of important thing that must have been worked on during the last couple of weeks is that you you didn't see them come back um, at the same time. So so what I mean is that, like, basically any time Odegaard came deep, then Zinchenko stayed as a left back. If if, if Zinchenko was inside, then, then Odegaard did not come deep because you, they knew that Rice is almost always there. And then you have, like, another three center backs. And, you know, Palace pretty much never pressed with more than five. So you don't really need like sort of the seven players there because then you're not going to have anyone um, in between the lines. So I thought I thought that's that's clearly something that wasn't so before because because I, I have like one of the sort of memorable uh, screenshots that I have there is, the, is the, the Villa game where you where you end up in a lot of these structures where it's just you know you have like um, basically. Uh, or even like the West Ham game where you just have like five players in the line and then like one sort of in the in the pivot and it's just like they're defended by one striker and you know everyone just just sort of packs it in and and it's just there's so I definitely feel like that's that's been that's been improved but I'm I don't know I'm just sort of like so I mean huge Martin Odegaard fan I mean I, I wrote about him you know when he was at Real Sociedad and followed followed him like pretty religiously there so it's just I, I feel like um, the easier solution is just to use those center backs because because you're already playing three of them pretty much every time and they all have the capabilities and then or maybe just use like I mean I, I suggested Declan Rice as a center back in, in some phases against some opposition or at least like in position uh, and then then you can kind of add another in between the the Lions player so maybe like if you're using him like for the say for the Ben White role or I'm not sure like I, I'm, I'm interested in like what you guys think I mean you you watch the team much more uh, closely than I, I do just, just on that is your suggestion they're using their ball carrying as a means to progression to sort of in a way that Leverkusen do it with Orelon Kusunu where he sort of has these marauding runs to create a sort of 3v2 uh, 4v3 out wide yeah, yeah, or yeah. more of a passing thing I mean, I think you can use do it both ways, but like because I feel like um, I mean, Kosunu is a nice example. Like, uh, not to go into like an obscure tangent, but like he wasn't sort of like this great. I mean, he did play as a fullback in Belgium, but like he wasn't this sort of like really, really good with the ball. And I, I feel like, and this is what I'm told by sort of coaches and analysts, is a lot of the time, as like a defensive player carrying out of the back a huge part of it is like the first step and your intention and your determination and how sort of how much self-confidence you have in executing that stuff. Um, because it is sometimes just like that one step that takes you back. And if you're not, like if you're just kind of doing it halfway or if you're like unsure, hesitant, like it doesn't necessarily work. But I think like, I mean, I mean maybe not, maybe not, I'm not sure about Gabriel, like I haven't really studied him as a carrier, but Saliba certainly like capable of that. Maybe use like, Maybe you can use Rice as a central guy and then put Saliba as the right guy. And, and but I mean, Ben White is, is capable, I would say. So like that, yeah, but but definitely as a passer, because I think like the biggest thing is that you're you're unable to reach those second line guys. Um, you know, behind say like you know most like a lot of teams defend five four one or four one four one, and that and that sort of behind the the first line or the, the midfield line of the other team where in an ideal positional play setup you you want that sort of five stagger right so you have the two wingers a nine and then two and a half spaces and 
you almost never have enough there because you just have too many coming to the ball or you have too many of the center backs just like involved in like almost like a rest defense, but they're not really involved with the ball. And and they're also not making like this thing is that they're I mean, they're probably not like they're probably told for sure, like is to not make off ball runs like, you know, which which I think it's it's probably OK in, in that game model. Like I'm, I'm OK with that. But then if you all have all I also have Declan Rice back and then you have, you know, Zinchenko sometimes likes to drop back. You have it's like you just end up with this with the shape where the opposition can just stay compact there and then you basically you're just forced to decide and then as you mentioned you end up in these like okay Saka tries to go past two or Martinelli and then you have to recycle it and and, and you're you're forced with that issue again I think it's important to just a quick caveat on on the Saliba suggestion is that that goes back to the sort of trade-off of in possession and out of possession again because the out of possession structure as a whole hinges on uh, Saliba as the central center back and being having those sweeper actions. So if you're taking him on the outside and having him as a sort of ball carrier to progress play there, in any case of a turnover, you're having him out of posi- out of position to 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 be where he needs to be in in that structure. So yeah, but you have Rice. I mean, Rice is like that's. Yeah. The, I mean, I think like many that's like the reason why he's brought in. Like I mean, I think it's pretty clear that you didn't really bring him in for the on ball stuff. I mean, as, as, as good as, I mean, he's been, he's been good sort of statistically. Right. But if you kind of watch it, it's, 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 it's pretty clear that he's not helping um, progression. Like he's, you know, he's, he's helping like ball retention and all that stuff, but you know, he's helping maybe numerically, but you're not advancing in advantageous possession, you know, positions. And you're not like, he's not breaking any of the lines as much he is able to like you know when when he is able to like make those runs when he is decisive and and, and he's, he's, there's been like good examples of that but i feel like that's less and like he's he's one he thrives much more in those sort of transitions right and and it's like you know you're saying well you don't want to play that game right you want to so it's, 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 there's a lot of trade-offs in that right you, you want to have this controlled game where he's controlling the transitions but then you're trying to control the game with him it's i think there's there's some issues with that and it looked like i mean i'm I'm not like this is i think the fun part about football is that like i, I always say it's not a washing machine where you just take one piece out it's it's an organic thing and 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 then you you know add you add in all of the other things where, okay well maybe you you wanted timber there as a as a, as a guy who could do it or maybe you thought party can 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 be and and he's certainly like i mean uh i remember in one of the it might have been the first Fulham game, but you, you'll correct me. Is where he played as like a he didn't Forest do well, but he played as sort of the right side. Oh, it was yeah. a Forest game. Yeah, he played as like a right side. Something like I don't think he did well, but but the idea and, and there's there's a lot of evidence that he's a much better sort of line breaker there. Um, I don't know. Like I'm interested in your like thoughts on Jorginho there because like I I think like Jorginho is an interesting player because like all the data almost really loves him, but then like if you kind of watch him, it's like. Um, I don't know, like, he's, he's certainly like... You love him even more, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you love him in, but you love him in, in almost like a, a player who, like, and you, you'll appreciate this as a sort of guy who watches German football, but like, the, in Germany you used to have like a Julian Weigel or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. maybe a, I think Rode is not a good example, but you used to have a lot more, like Sebastian Rudi, like, you used to have a lot more of these, the you know, village, like a lot of these sort of, Circuit, yeah, like a guys, and I think there's not, there's like not too many of those guys. Any, like so slowly, those guys are being shifted out to more dynamic, like because he's just not really like a dynamic player. 
Um, and I think there's evidence that, okay, like nobody can have Rodri, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> that would be the ideal thing, but you know, there's only one Rodri and, and, and like, so, so it's, it's just, you kind of have to make do with what you have, but I don't know, maybe that would have been nothing, but I, I certainly understand the thing with Declan Rice that it's like, okay, well, you, sp- you're invested, like you're, you're all in on him. So, and I'm not suggesting to, to like drop him or anything. It's just, you know, and it's, it's, as I mentioned, like, it's just a trade-off. So. I think the thing with Saliba and Rice is really interesting because Arteta, they are both crucial to Arsenal's rest defence, but in very different ways. Uh, Rice's job is to kind of stop the transition before it's even really started. Like he's the real midfield destroyer. If the opposition get into our half, Rice has messed up. Whereas Saliba is the real last line of the defence, which I think is what Seb was saying earlier, where he plays on the cover entirely. So if he's moved up with the ball, then Gabriel is just less good at that. And we saw that in the run-in last season where we didn't have Saliba there. We really, really struggled defending his cover situations. Yes, we didn't have Rice. So I suppose... I, I take your point that like I suppose we could like almost swap their roles in the rest defense. So like if you had Saliba carry with the ball, then you could have Rice drop back and do that cover job. But then do we clearly Arteta has like it's it's almost one of Arteta's non-negotiables, right? Is that Rice is the guy that tries to stop the transition in the opposition half, and then if they get past Rice, we need Saliba back there to stop them before they get to the goal. Oh, it's it's completely like plausible that this is like a principle or not as you said like it's not negotiable for him and, and I, I think yeah we just have to accept that and it's like but you know it's it's hard, it's it, hard it to know. It is a possible solution. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's probably li- likelier than than what I'm suggesting. I, I find the Declan Rice thing fascinating since he's come in because our main contentions with Thomas Partey in that role, apart from the physical decline that sort of started in the second half of the season, has carried on was always that for a team that wants to control and that wants to have this strict positional uh, sort of dogmatic way of playing, he his pass selection has always been antith- antithetical to a six in that he's very aggressive and he's always looking for those progressive passes. And in Rice, you have a you have someone who who has improved us in that aspect in that his circulative passes passing has been good and he he does have a better temper of when to take risks and when not to take risks and and so on as well as just having him in the rest defense unit his range of action is just incredible like he 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 can cover about 20 yards of ground in in seconds to make defensive actions but even then when using him in that role you a have the line breaking passing issue that you're probably overcorrected somewhat from someone who's been way over uh, relying on his on his progressive passing to someone who probably doesn't do it enough, while also deploying him in that sort of lighthouse role as it were that Rodri role of being the sitter, being the sort of central hub of the team. You're kind of taking away his his other greatest strength with this, which is his sort of bustling dynamic offensive runs where he can travel with the ball for about 40 meters and so on so i don't think we've yet found the perfect way of using him in the team i think the closest we've come to it actually was the liverpool game when he played in sort of traditional double pivot with uh jorginho 
where Jorginho is another one who who is better in the in in assessing risk as well and having those line breaking passings in him, but also has that natural understanding of space and has that natural understanding of of tempo to a game, and those two dovetailing, giving them the option of Rice going forward with the ball and driving with the ball and having uh, Jorginho deeper, as well as just the natural understanding of either having Rice as a cover player in in the counter press as well as through the double pivot having him as a further up option to sort of be a more aggressor in the press i think that vision of those two together with a sort of a younger Jorginho, as it were is probably the closest thing i've found to maximizing rice in this arsenal team i think like that that's probably the most reasonable thing um in terms of like it's also like probably that i'm underrating the transition from like you know, playing for David Moyes. <laughs> and, you know, because, yeah. like, I mean, not, 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 not in that way, but just even sort of stylistically, right? Like, you're completely asked to do different things, yeah. and even for England in some ways. And I think Rice is, again, like, had a different thing. And, yeah, like, and it's also, you're coming to a new team, right? Like, you're probably, like, it's, it's. I mean, it's, like, maybe not, 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 everyone, not everyone's like Jude Bellingham, who's like, oh, I'm just going to be, like, even more aggressive than I was before. Like, most people are, like, tend to, like anywhere in life like you're you're just you know spend the first few months of trying to figure things out and then kind of take risk take more risk right uh, and i feel like there's been definitely like a lot of like i put in a few of those clips where like rice could have made the risky pass and like zinchenko is like doing the thing with his hands and then he's not getting the ball or rice isn't taking the space and and yeah like some of it is is like just needs to be a little bit more confident and maybe they've they've shown it to him now i mean maybe they've had a break and i'm showing it to him and also, like, maybe, like, just like in the Palace game, like, he had less of an influence and other people will have more of an influence. Like, I think that's another one. Whereas you mentioned, like, you introduce another sort of, like, especially like a Jorginho who's much more of a control. And then you kind of unlock him in some ways to to have a little bit of, like, okay, he can be the advanced guy and, and, and receive because he can, like, shield it and bounce off guys and, and, and do get into the box and do those kind of things that that, that, is, that, is, that are what make him special. Like, in some ways, it's like he's been, he's been a little bit bound by 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 some of the things that that uh, they've asked from him and and he's looked I think good statistically but maybe not maybe it's not necessarily like sort of his fault. Something that you mentioned right at the start of the discussion is how the more there's a correlation between the more Rice touches the ball in the game, the worse we're doing in said game, and I think there's. A little bit of like a snowball effect to this, right? Because Rice has got his hero ball tendencies where he likes to pick up the ball and run when we've got, when we're struggling, when his team is struggling. Uh, and so I think the worst, like if we're struggling with progression, Rice starts to turn towards his hero ball tendencies and his hero ball tendencies aren't working. So we're looking worse. So he tries to hero ball more. I, I think there's a kind of snowball effect to Rice. If the team as a whole plays badly, Rice's touches start to rack up because our plan B, in a way, is Rice trying to use his game-breaking runs to try and force something from nothing. Uh, and before we come back on that, I'm going to call a break because I feel like we could keep talking for two hours on this, but I think we could all do with just a break to relax for five minutes of course for you it's just going to be the length of a short jingle we'll be back in just a second 
And we're back. That was a very nice break. I've got a nice new can of unidentified soda because nobody sponsors us. Um, let's jump back in for the last little bit of this pod. Um, Abba, we've touched on it in spots over the course of the discussion we had before the break, but I, I just want to know, like, what specifically do you think Arsenal improved? You said that Arsenal looked better to you in the Palace game that's just been. Um, what specifically is it, what was it about their play that you thought was better? Yeah, and it's like, I'm not trying to say it because it's like a 5 nil <laughs> game, and and I will say it's like the caveat that it's Palace, and I think for the most part, like most teams, I mean, their whole thing is like you you can you can uh, move the ball against them. But I did they did feel like the structural improvement. So there's like about four or five things, which is like I mentioned how that sort of Gabriel being more involved as a left sided center back uh, because he wasn't really like I mean against like a four one four one or five four one sometimes. He wasn't really, like, he was a lot of times a free man, but he was very decisive in kind of knowing when to step in and, like, being in the final third and, and getting off of, like, the striker, Mateta, there. And and then just, like, taking a quick pass, um, you know, hitting, like... And then Zinchenko would, would, would stay wide and they had, like... They actually had, like, that double width sometimes and, and then and it wouldn't just be an isolation there. Um, I like that Odegaard, doesn't mention, like, he came deep. Um... And then, but it was with the idea that you maintain the width with, with Zinchenko then, so it wasn't sort of a crowded thing. And then, you know, you had sort of some um, second line options there. I also mentioned about like the rice touches. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, this is, uh, we mentioned about the number of touches he has already. It was, you know, it's really high. So he had like 66 in those games. And then I wanted to just kind of throw that on to the other one where, if you look at the attacking third touches, like his he, his highest ones are like the top uh, seven are four of those are in the losses. And there's like one of the Everton game, um, I think the Brentford game, which was a very stodgy game. And the, sort of the Brighton game is kind of the one that doesn't really fit my narrative about that. But he was much more decisive, I thought, in terms of like the carries. Um, again, it helped that it's a lot of times against like one striker and sort of a, a midfield that was happy to kind of retreat. But um, they did did better, like, in terms of just being a little bit quicker with the tempo. I mean, that's a little bit of a tough thing to measure. Um, I mean, you can measure it with certain data, but it's probably, like, a really... It's definitely, definitely beyond my capabilities. Um, but just from, like, sort of the eye test that I was able to... Like, what that's what I saw is that the ball moved quicker and then moved through the lines. Um, and yeah, they were, they were, they were also holding the position better. Like I thought that the distances, like we we probably didn't talk as much, or I didn't talk as much about the distances because that's another one of those things in the positional play is that you want to maintain those connections. And I felt that in many times, and when Arsenal were in disadvantaged game state situations, they they would just be. Um, discombobulated or disconnected positionally and the distances got a little bit too huge and that that, that didn't happen so much and, and I'm, I'm talking like i'm just gonna kind of clarify I'm, I'm talking more about the the when it's zero zero or when it's one zero so it's not like sort of you know um i'm talking about a three three no blowout when when they're just kind of putting up these things like i i'm, I'm actually trying to think that um 
the, the second half, I think, changed it a little bit because I felt like then Palace went much more like aggressive man-to-man with sometimes like a plus one. And then Arsenal was then able to kind of do the thing that, um, that I thought that they they haven't really done too much this season, which is like get those transitions, like manufacture the transitions, right? Like I actually think that's that's something that maybe they've worked on it. Like maybe I mean, it was maybe it's just a three nil. It's it's just easier that way, obviously. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say like a, a fair amount of positives, and um, you know, I don't I don't know how much of the training camp in, in Dubai. I think or, or, or it was Dubai. Okay, all right. So, like, how much of that was worked on there? Like, I don't... Did you get any info on, on what they worked on there? Like, because I feel like there wasn't a lot of... Other than, like, they made the party announcement where he was, you know, uh, suddenly appeared. But, I, yeah, I know that these things are not, obviously not meant for public stuff. So. I think the only thing that publicly went available was that I think a lot of players mentioned that they worked quite heavily on set pieces to maximize that aspect as a sort of game-breaking, yeah. opening the game up a bit for that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, I think they were asked about that, like because obviously two set piece goals in a game, like they people asked about them. Journalists weren't gonna ask. Oh, did 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 you did did you work on your in possession structure a bit, Bukayo? Yeah. It's not something no, that's no, gonna no, be yes. asked on Sky. For me, particularly when I watched back the Palace game, uh, I was impressed with how our midfielders were receiving the ball, um, especially in deeper build up. Something we've sometimes had is our midfielders receiving the ball a bit too static with the ban at the backside and just playing the ball back to whoever gave it to them or just off to an angle. But I noticed that we were, especially Zinchenko, Rice and Erdogan were receiving the ball on the half turn a lot more and then using that opportunity to run at Palace and kind of cause them problems that way. Um, I know there was one particularly that I remember where Rice, no, where Gabriel played the ball through to Erdogan and he was able to just not touch the ball and just spin and run. And I don't remember seeing anything like that from Gabriel um, at all. And it was just, just just nice to see them running at at the opposition. Seb, do you have anything to add? Not really. I I, I think we, uh, if if you want to get more on the Palace game, Logan and I discuss it. In, in more detail last week. from I, I haven't watched back, I must say, uh, since then, so it's a bit foggy in my memory. But I think two things that stood out most, uh, apart from the things you guys mentioned already, uh, is uh, one, a sort of adjustment in width, in that there were a lot of situations where in deep build-up, both Sack and Martin, uh, Trossard in that instance, Martinelli didn't start, were starting their positions more narrow to get into those channels to sort of either pass the ball back and, and create movement from there or get into positions where they can sort of cause diagonal threats by running in behind, as well as uh, the usage of David Raya, who sort of took that responsibility of being the third player in defense when uh, White was moving up or, or so on, so that uh, Rice wasn't always going to drop from midfield into the last line to receive there. So those those sort of structural adjustments that we made there. It's dependent to see if that's a, a Palace-specific thing. I think the Raya thing is something that can be carried over into the season, and we've seen quite a lot of experimentation and how we can get him. We can exploit his qualities to sort of solve some of the deep build-up issues. But yeah. I, I didn't like... This didn't make it into the 
article in English that I did on Arsenal because it was already like too long. But I did in the I, when I the origin like sort of the genesis of it was that I wanted to write about it for um, this Hungarian site, and um, I actually did go into a lot of the Raya versus uh, Ram Ramsdale thing, and I found like sort of myself sort of disappointed in, in in the way that Raya's played and how he's been used in sort of the performances. But then like this game, the Palace game, I noticed that like he was much quicker in the transitions when like it was almost like they were looking like every time he mm-hmm. made a save or there was like a cross that he claimed like they, they went and, and there was like almost always there was a danger. So it's like I did I, almost I think, like, throwback to Brentford Raya, wasn't it? In in that Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like that that might again be another thing there where you know he's gaining more in confidence and and like you know they, they, that's something that like it it seemed to to like sort of happen like five or six times to be coincidental whereas like i'm sure it happened this season a few times but i don't like so i don't remember it like as many times um but then i also thought that his passing which i think like for much of the season like especially the long ball like it wasn't too accurate like it would leave be hanging and i thought that improved as well so Yeah, I think that's probably encouraging as well. To round off the discussion, is there anything that you would be particularly looking for from Arsenal as a sign that they have improved on these issues in the second half of the season? Yeah, I think like it's a lot of it is like how how they're going to do against like the quality of the opponents and I think like um Palace like is probably not on that spectrum or level right like certainly but then like um there's about another 10 or 12 teams that that that's uh that are and you know you you are probably gonna you know face those teams like <laughs> very soon so i think liverpool will be pretty interesting in that um and basically um if just say one thing is 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 basically the distance between the players and how many are in build-up and like where's declan rice and This this thing I mentioned about is Zinchenko also in there with the guard or is he sort of is that is that um, organized well enough? Um, and I, I like I like the point that you made, Sebastian, about um, uh, the the wingers being not next to the touchline but more so more inside to give the little bit of the option of maybe they're the ones who receive inside. So it's not just sort of one dimensional or maybe, you know, you, you keep Zinchenko wider and then he's the one who's outside and then you come inside. So like just to be a little bit more um, like organized, but unpredictable, like, you know, like the organization should be more predictable, but the end result should be a little bit less predictable. Uh, and 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 how they like basically, I mean, the goal of, you know, this sort of positional play is, is, is arriving to the. Uh, the box. I, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to get data on the number of players they had in the box. Like last season, they were like one of the best in the in the top five. Like I'm. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing if that comes out. And you know, obviously, I don't know if you can break that. You probably can break that down by different uh, matches. But this is the one thing I'm looking at is like how can they progress the ball? Like with what sort of organization? What sort of predictability? Like are there enough people? behind the lines and do they get those uh, situations uh, in like in the near the box in advantageous uh, positions uh, and Seb I'll ask the same to you obviously we'll be talking about these things week in week out through the rest of the season but from where we are now um, what will you be looking for as key key signs 
that Arsenal are improving in possession if they do? I would say it's twofold and they're kind of related. I think it's figuring out the right balance of profiles, especially in the attacking half, in finding who works with each other well enough. I think having Trossard start with Havertz was a sign of that, in that you find profiles that are more complementary of one another. And another thing, uh, and it's something Abel mentioned in the article, uh, which is interesting because it's something that we haven't discussed a lot, but was something uh, a friend of mine uh, dis- uh, discussed with me, which is occupation between the lines and sort of options between the lines. There's been an issue with that, largely down to either unreliable receivers or people that want to move into positions like Havertz, who wants to get into the last line, or Udegaard, who has to have these second-phase responsibilities, um, so then isn't always immediately available in the last line or in in between the lines, as it were. Um, So finding a way of, A, getting the balance between attacking players to to work well with, with one another, as well as finding ways to fix some of the deep build-up issues while maintaining a good amount of availability between the lines to then progress into the attacking third. Those are the sort of interesting bits that are things that to look out for in terms of tangible improvement. Uh, and on that note, on a somewhat hopeful note that we might actually be improving going through the season, I think now is a good time to end the pod. Uh, Abel, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really, really entertaining discussion. Uh, if people want to find more of your work and what you what you do, where can they find you? No, I, first of all, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me, and I also thank you for the discussion because I, I feel like I've. I've learned quite a bit and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Um, most of my, I mean, most of the things like, uh, Twitter probably, or I guess it's called X now. It's Twitter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm at Bundesabel. So Bundes A-B-E-L, which is, which is the, probably the easiest to, to find me there. Awesome. Uh, I will link Abel's Twitter in the, description of the pod and we'll of course link the article in the description as well uh thanks as always to seb for being alongside me uh, apart from the pods where one of us <laughs> isn't here and it's one of the other members of the pot shot crew uh you can find all of us on twitter and all of those links are in the show description as well as a link to the pod twitter at pot shot pod um thank you to james blake for making the music you can find him on all good music platforms at jw blake and lastly of course thank you to you for listening if you've enjoyed it please do leave us a like or a review or share the pod with some arsenal fans or hey like this pod has been all about talking about arsenal tactics with non-arsenal fan so maybe share the pod to a non-arsenal fan they might find it interesting Um, We will be back next week to discuss the Forest game, but more importantly, the Liverpool game. See you there. Cheers.